how do we really inculcate that culture of human rights, whether it be the theologically speaking, whether it be through policy, and whether it be through the arts, how do we shape our community, our society, and us as American Muslims? I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss, and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to catch up, and then you're going to get to hear all about her grievances regarding our travel experiences. Later on the pod, we sat down with an incredible guest. Ani Zondervelt is the founder and president of Muslims for Progressive Values. It is a wonderful conversation that you are not going to want to miss. It's a great episode, so stay tuned. Hello there, Missy. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I'm a little frustrated. Okay. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right. So I'm sure our audience is waiting with bated breath. So first, my apologies to our listeners. <laughs> but you remember, I mean, a while back, I think I mentioned a couple of times that I felt like having... Um, Telling stories of our travel woes is a, is a little like forcing. Right. Is is the podcast listener's version of having to look through our yeah. vacation photos. Sure. Right? Okay. So kind of decided to stop doing that for a while, in part because of that, but also because I understand this is such first world problems. However... I've now collected a few. <laughs> you have some grievance. Is this the airing of the grievance? This is the airing of the grievances, the pet peeves, my new campaign platforms. If you've been with us for a while, you know that I have campaign flat platforms and I'm, I'm just adding to the list. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear the list. Here goes. So, Number one. <laughs> we had something happen this week while we were traveling that this is... And not not necessarily an inconvenience, although it could be. Yeah. But just a bizarre situation. Okay. Do tell. So we board an airplane. Yes. And we sit there on the tarmac or, you know, at the gate for a mm -hmm. while, which, you know, is not unusual, whatever. Right. And but it got to be a little long. Mm -hmm. And so the I don't know if it was the pilot or the flight attendant finally came on and said, All right, we're gonna leave, but the blue juice isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. That seems like so long ago. Right? I forgot about the blue juice. It was 48 <laughs> hours ago, Mitch. Okay. So blue juice, for those of you who do not know, is apparently what... It yeah, comes... this is not a sports drink. <laughs> no. Uh, or, I don't know. It depends. Is the stuff that comes up in an airplane toilet. Yes. So they could not get the blue juice to work. <laughs> In the airplane bathrooms. <laughs> this is so bizarre, not your retailer. I know, I know. So they, they told us, we're going to go ahead and leave. But if you need to use the toilet, you have to take your own water. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be fizzy water. It had to be regular right? water. <laughs> so if you need to go to the bathroom, I'm sorry, but you know, you got to have a water bottle and like pour it in the toilet before you go to the bathroom and flush. So that was a new one on us. 
<laughs> that definitely was the fir- at first. It reminded me of the time, I'm not sure if we told this story on the pod, but we were sitting on an airplane and you know, this is the, this is the era of pilots and flight attendants timing out because of so many delays right. and things that, yeah. that you're, you're thinking you're going to get to leave to go somewhere. And then nope. you only to find out the crew because there's been such a long delay has timed out Correct. and you're stuck. This has happened to us numerous times now. So we were on an, an airplane one time and I think something like that happened. And so basically some guy in the cabin who's literally like in his um, yeah. Tommy Bahama shirt and khaki shorts, I like about that too. cargo shorts. Yeah. He's like, you we, know, we don't know if he had his pilot license or not. He was a pilot. And so they like asked, yeah. you know, Joe Schmo yeah. to come fly the plane. And he did. and yeah. got us home. And that was lovely. Yeah, he was running herbs between, you know. <laughs> Probably. So anyways, these are a couple of bizarre experiences. But now that we're on a roll, I'm also going to talk about a couple of other okay, things. Okay. Grievance number two. <laughs> so... The other one, and this is a PSA for everyone who travels. If your child is playing a video game on your tablet or their tablet, Mm -hmm. and that video game is annoying you, (laughs) putting in your own AirPods (laughs) to block the noise does not, comma, in fact, (laughs) block it for the rest of the passengers. Okay. PSA. Yeah. Okay, I've been gotcha. saving that one for a while, haven't I? That's yeah. like a couple months old. Okay, yeah. so then that brings us to the, tonight's grievance. Grievance number three. You guys, hotel bathroom. Well, you know what? Not a hotel bathroom. Any bathrooms. <laughs> so this is universal. Universal. Okay, universal. Right. <laughs> I, the fact that I have to say this is bizarre. <laughs> bathrooms need actual doors. <laughs> you don't like saloon doors. And I mean like <laughs> opaque doors, wooden, metal, whatever, but doors that shut and latch and mm-hmm. have a lock. Mm-hmm. But what we're finding is that many hotels think that people want these frosted glass doors mm-hmm. that slide you know and bl- have no latch. You know who I blame for this? Who? Chip and Joanna Gaines. Oh, you're right. <laughs> It all I, it always goes back because to they love the barn door. They love the barn door. Love the barn door. Right, but the barn door need. I mean, I, don't, I do think that they actually have barn doors. Doors. Not, yeah. They're not frosted glass. But right. you guys, I mean, you're in a hotel room. It's like you need a little moment of privacy. <laughs> So, in any case... Yeah. Check Missy's socials out if you're wanting to see a photo of this barn door. Yeah, there's photo proof <laughs> happening on my socials. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to check those out, you can. But it, it's just... I, I will die on this hill, you guys. Uh, hotels need actual bathroom <laughs> doors. Right. It, I don't feel like that's too much to ask. So, <laughs> my apologies for um, sharing all of these first world problems. Yes, I know they're first world problems, but man, I feel better. <laughs> so, well, I'm so glad. Thank you so, for I mean, bottom indulging line is, me. Yeah, what you're telling us tonight are three things. One, if you're going to travel in the next few weeks, one, Bring your own bottled water. You might need a bottle of water to go to the bathroom. I'm just saying. Exactly. On the airplane. Two, bring your kids some headphones or bring earplugs for the entire plane. <laughs> right. Actually, just make them mute the video game or you're that. playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that. Yeah. And then thirdly, of course, either find a hotel that's got a real bathroom door 
or bring a sheet to cover the door. Well, I, a sheet's not going to help. I mean, you just, you want to be able to like close and latch a door when you're in, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> maybe I'm Oh, rich. I think you're going to get a lot of positive feedback from that one. I mean, so far I am. I'm just yeah. saying. So uh, anyways. Well, yeah. Well, we are in South Carolina uh, having a great week uh, traveling around the state. Beautiful, beautiful country. Incredible people. And uh, just just having a great time. But uh, so stay tuned for some more travel woes because we're not home yet. Right. <laughs> this, may ca- this may carry over into yeah. next yeah. week. Yeah. Grievance four and five <laughs> coming your My way. My apologies. Hopefully not. Yeah. Uh, but you and I got to sit down this week with just a delightful leader in the Islamic faith, uh, Ani Zandoveld, who is the president of the Muslims for Progressive Values was just wonderful. I feel like that um, needs and deserves another mention. Muslims for progressive values. Yeah. It's kind of like Baptists for progressive right, values. Right, right. Yeah. And I feel like that is something that I'm embarrassed that I did not know existed mm-hmm. before this. Um, but this was a fascinating conversation oh, with her. Yes. I learned some things that I'm also embarrassed to say kind of blew my mind. And I don't know why, because I know that we in our faith tradition and also in our denomination mm-hmm. have um, had many assumptions, you know, a, a, about what we believe or practice that are inaccurate. And in this interview, Ani talks about her work, but also some key things that have been um, misinterpreted yeah. in in her faith. And yeah. so I found this conversation fascinating. I look forward to uh, keeping up with her work. I look forward to kind of talking a little bit about the interview after the fact. Yep. So stay tuned. Uh, Missy and I sat down with Ani Zandofeld, who is the president of Muslims for Progressive Values. You know, Missy, I really enjoy recording this podcast with you each and every week. Do you? Well, <laughs> uh, but this is not the only thing we do at Good Faith Media. It's not. We have so many offerings for you. We have a plethora of podcasts, videos, news and opinion articles, Bible studies, books, and much, much more. Find us at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Ani Zondeveld is a writer, singer-songwriter, founder and president of Muslims for Progressive Values, an international human rights organization that advocates for social justice and equality for all, a strong supporter of freedom of expression and of conscience, women's rights, and as an ally, LGBTQ rights. Good Faith Media will attend the Muslims for Progressive Values 2023 conference in New York City at Union Theological Seminary on September 30th. Ani, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you for having me. Well, Ani, MPV's mission is to advocate for human rights, social justice, and inclusion in the United States and around the world by inculcating a culture rooted in human rights through public education, advocacy, and the arts. So, Ani, I want to start with talking about um, a little bit of history with Muslims and human rights and social justice. Many Christians in the United States, you might be surprised to learn, don't really associate the Muslim faith with human rights and social justice. So I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about theologically and historically um, about Muslims and and these issues. 
Well, Ashki, it's not just the Christians. The Muslims also have a problem. <laughs> There's many, been many occasions where I speak and um, and I put Islam and human rights in the first sentence. And the first people who would just to throw it back in my face are Muslims. Like, how dare you use Islam and human rights in the first sentence? And obviously, this is coming from extremely secular feminists. And, um, and I understand that because they've been their Islam or the, the Islam that they were raised on was very harmful. And I think when you are raised in a faith tradition that is detrimental to your mental health and your well-being, regardless of religion, you will have an aversion to faith. And I totally get that. I was not raised that way. I was raised at a very um, egalitarian and empowering family dynamic when my father was the feminist. And so my Islam is very different than what many people experience. And I think the Islam I was raised on in Malaysia is, is truer to the spirit of the teaching of Islam. So to answer your question in a brief history, the founding Islam of the revelation of the text of the Quran was indirect response to the misogynistic and the tribal and the patriarchy and violent system of the day. It was incredibly violent. And so when the first um, verses of the Quran was re uh, was revealed through uh, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, who spoke to Prophet Muhammad, it's the same uh, angel Gabriel that you have in Christianity, by the way, FYI, the same the same character. <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know. Is it the same last name? <laughs> <laughs> same address. <laughs> um, you know, when um, when when the the verses were, were revealed, it was really uh, in direct response to the situation, the social uh, issues of the day. So that's why the first converts to Islam were the slaves and wh whoever were oppressed and women. And if it wasn't for the fact that the Quran actually spoke to them, then they would not have converted. So the, the first converts were those who were oppressed. It was not the, obviously, the, the tribal um, patriarchs, right? Obviously, because they had a lot to lose. Right. And so, you know, the basic rights that we are still struggling, particularly in the Muslim world, like the, the right to inheritance, the right to work outside the home, the right to uh, full bodily autonomy, all that good stuff, that all is in the Quran revealed, you know, uh, 1400 years ago, but for whatever reason, we're still fighting for those basic rights. And so that's why for us, it's very easy. You have 1400 years of Islam. There's the good part and there's the, the, the ugly part. The ugly one has dominated the patriarchal, misogynistic, the homophobic uh, parts have dominated and has defined Islam as it is. Whereas for me and the the slew of progressive Muslims in this world, we look at Islam as being the egalitarian, the social justice um, movement that it was intended to be. When you were talking about when you grow up in a faith tradition that's harmful, how it's so difficult to then come back and want to see the good that comes out of it. I think that's just so relatable for like you were saying in your faith and also in the Christian faith. And and some of these issues you're talking about, about the, you know, the early converts being those who were oppressed and marginalized, not those in power. It's, it's all such a parallel and, and yeah. just 
it's amazing when we start to take a step back and look at all these things that are similar, how, how much of it is really. I mean, are you trying to tell me that like in our tradition, Jesus wasn't a politician? <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs> you're I've, trying to tell me that he was a, you know, a poor uh, day labor? I don't know. I've, I've heard that. It's a rumor going around. <laughs> and then, well, and I'm the, glad sad, you no. the sad thing is, is that in, in, in within the Muslim community, those who are uh, extremely secular and very negative towards Islam, particularly the work that we do as Muslims and in the context of human rights, mm-hmm. they have bold, uh, they have bought the narrative of Islam being homophobic, misogynistic, and patriarchy. And they can't actually um, unhinge or de- uh, untangle the two. Their cultural upbringing that has been framed within the context of Islam, which is false, and the true teachings of the Quran, right? And this, and these are very intelligent people. They're not, you know, they're, they're critical thinkers. And yet it's very hard for them to actually untangle the two and to look at Islam from a pure spiritual uh, social justice path versus the Islam that has been bastardized in the culture from which they were raised in. And that bastardization was basically framed as being Islam when it has nothing to do with Islam. Uh, Earlier, you mentioned that the term progressive, and I want to talk a little bit about that because uh, those of us in Good Faith Media and Missy and I in particular, we come from not only the Christian tradition, but from the Baptist uh, tradition within Christianity. And if there are two terms that seem at odds with one another, it is the term progressive and Baptist. But believe it or not, that they are out there, and we are two of them. Um, you and I met at the Parliament of the World's Religions, and it was interesting to me to talk to you and to others at the parliament about these common values we have. And it seems as though this term progressive continued to uh, bubble up in my conversations. So could you talk more about the progressive movement within Islam and how that relates to the larger progressive movement uh, across faiths? Okay, so I think the best way is to give an example um, mm-hmm. When we say progressive, well, first let me backtrack for a minute. So when we started this organization, we called it Muslims for Progressive Values. And many, many years later, a rabbi friend of mine, after understanding the work that we do and understanding Islam better, he says, you know, Ani, you made a mistake when you called it Muslims for Progressive Values. You should have said Muslims for Traditional Values. And ah. I like, oh, man. Oh, what a mess. <laughs> <laughs> It is yeah. so true. I think that might have been interpreted differently, though, depending well, on yeah. the history. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, it would have been now, you know, as we're 16 years old, we can look at it and says, yeah, you know what? We could have maybe rebranded that way, for example. But no, but as a startup, it was important for us to really define ourselves as progressive values. So to give you an example, nowadays, when Christmas comes along, when you look at the social media from where I'm standing, you'll see, you know, the youngsters actually asking questions oh can i can i wish my christian neighbor merry christmas and the radical imams would basically say no if you wish them merry christmas that means you've you support their religion and you will go to hell right and so let me give you an example from prophet muhammad um he has a covenant with the christians 
um, from Egypt and from various tribes. And the covenant with his signature basically states that we have to protect the Christians. We have to protect the, their places of worship. And we do that until the end of time. That's a very different um, example than this 21st century imams that we have that are really loud mouth and that are really propagating the wrong kind of Islam. So that's just one example how progressive and inclusive uh, Prophet Muhammad was and how he was the example of human example of the teachings of the Quran, right? So the Quran is the text. Prophet Muhammad was living out that text in person. That's a great example. So tell us more about what, what kind of ways that MPV advocates for the causes and for these issues. So talk about boots on the ground. What are some things that you do? Yeah. So um, let's talk about something really urgent right now that's happening in the United States um, and how there is uh, um, this movement that is led by the Muslim Muslim right. Um, it's not just the Christian right. There's a Muslim right. There is a Hindu right. There's all kinds of, you know, the, the right wingers mm -hmm. within our faith traditions. And anyway, the Muslim right have been spearheading this movement um, of opting out uh, and condemning the inclusive curriculums in public schools. Um, now, in Maryland, what they've done is they've sued the, the 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 Board of Education. They just lost, but basically, they wanted to opt out of an inclusive curriculum that de depicted same-sex parents, um, but that also depicted you know girls, Muslim girls in hijab, which I don't agree with. But it was very inclusive in that it depicted our society at large and in a very inclusive manner. And so, the work that we've been doing now is basically to um, to push back against that very, what we call a very radical narrative to say for us as American Muslims, we all need to learn from the same textbooks. Otherwise, we will we'll not have a functioning society and a democratic one. We have to be inclusive of all of us. We are all citizens of America. We all need to be respected that way. If we're going to be opting out of it, we're not going to be raised in the set of values that is inclusive of others other Americans who don't look like us, that don't practice the same faith as us, and same sex as us, et cetera, right? And so that's sort of like what we're imbued in right now, we're like really being pulled from all different directions and like, how do we address this? Um, particularly like the, the, the council members and the progressive politicians are coming to us, like how do we address this issue and really counter the radical Muslim uh, pivot to the right without making it sound like they are Islamophobic or racist, et cetera, because a lot of those who are against the inclusive curriculum are the new immigrants to the United States. You mentioned a few of the images that we get in our mind when we think of Islam, like you said, the hijabs and things like this that, that women wear. What issues like that, and you talked about um, bodily autonomy and some of these things, what issues do you find yourself having to answer more for? You know, in, in our Baptist tradition, there's certain, you know, people have certain assumptions about what, you know, somebody from the Christian faith and in particular from the Baptist denomination or Catholic or Methodist might believe, do and not do. What are some of the most common questions that you get that you find yourself having to say, actually, that's not, you know, really how we are, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is the covering of the hair, the hijab. Um, I, I remember like in the beginning, especially after nine, soon after 9-11, there was, 
you know, a plethora of interfaith gatherings and um, faith traditions coming together um, in support of Muslims that were being, you know, criminalized for just being Muslim and suspect of being a terrorist just for being Muslim. And the first questions that I would always get, and not as much now, is, oh, you're Muslim? Because, you know, obviously I don't look whatever that look is supposed to be if you're a Muslim. Um, <laughs> and um, and uh, and how come you're not wearing hijab? And so I always have to explain that the hijab is actually um, a, not a command. Um, it is more of a cultural practice. So when the, the, the Quran was revealed, it was in a particular very tribal patriarchy society, right? So I've touched on that. Now, if you were of a particular tribe, women had to dress a certain way. So if you were a higher class, you could wear a scarf, you could cover your breasts. And the, the more covering you had, the higher hierarchy you were of in, in a tribe. The lower class tribes could not dress like a higher class tribe. If you were found out to be of a lower class tribe dressing as a higher class tribe, you would be whipped in public. Okay, so uh, and if you were a lower class tribe, you had to go check your your chest were uh, you had to go uh, bare the chest, women and men. Right. Wow. So when the Quran was revealed, the Quran said, cover your bosom with a scarf. Now, my head is not the bosom. My bosom is the bosom. <laughs> And, and this is the beauty of the Quran, because what it's basically saying, regardless of what tribe you are, go ahead and cover your bosom. Mm. Now, wow, that is fascinating. Right? Wow. Nobody it's almost right? like people misinterpret scripture, no matter what tradition <laughs> yeah. you're part of, and use right. it to their advantage. And That's so, crazy. Wow. over the centuries, it became... Uh, so for over the centuries, women, Muslim women didn't wear a headscarf. And the ones that were wearing the headscarf were the elite. It were not the people that were working the fields, the women that were working the in, in farms, etc. It's like in Turkey, in the, in the rural areas, like, you know, it's not practical. We can't wear this stuff and be working the fields. So for centuries, right. women didn't do that. But now... It's become, the narrative has changed so much and we've been uh, brainwashed to say, oh, no, no, if you're a Muslim woman, you should be wearing it. That's what was said centuries ago. And now it's like, no, you must be wearing it. And then Al-Azhar came out mm -hmm. with a statement some years ago, says, no, if you don't wear it, they are an apostate. I mean, that's how far we've come. And that's what I call the bastardization of religion. And so then the other yeah, thing, sure, yeah. if, you, if you're covered, that means you're fairer skin. Therefore, even till today, that colorism is an issue in many Muslim societies and others. The fairer you are, the more elite, the higher class you are. If you have not mm -hmm. noticed, all the Hollywood uh, movies, those that are stars, they have light color skin. They are more Euro looking. And uh, But if you go to India, that is not representative of the general yeah. public. Right. Wow, so many universal truths to be gleaned. <laughs> I'm just a little bit in awe. Uh, well, another Where do we start, right? I know, right? I don't know. Right, right. We may be here all day. Exactly. Uh, well, another responsibility you have as the director is a lot of times you're advocating at the United Nations. Um, so what are some of the issues that you are addressing now at the United Nations from a progressive Muslim uh, vantage point? 
So at the United Nations, um, I am. Um, we are a uh, one of the board, one of the committee members of the Faith Advisory Council for the UN system. So it cuts across all the twenty-seven agencies. I am also the co-chair of the Gender Working Group for that advisory council. And as a matter of fact, tomorrow I'll be co-chairing a very high-level um, discussion on um, as a side event of the United Nations General Assembly, and it is um, on the subject matter of. Of, um, equality in law for women and girls by 2030, which is obviously not going to happen. But <laughs> so that's that's one thing. I we do a lot of work on countering filing reports against a lot of the human rights abuses in the name of Islam by Muslim majority countries. So for example, when some of these countries justify child forced marriages in the name of Islam, we negate that using Islamic texts as well. And so when they use, when they are, there's human rights abuses against um, LGBT people, we do the same. Um, or the issue of freedom of religion and belief and apostasy and blasphemy laws. And this is such a, a huge uh, human rights uh, violation and how um, people like me are accused of being an apostate because um, I claim to be Muslim, but according to them, I'm not really Muslim. And so, um, you know, so I've gotten my share of threats in regards to this, particularly in the beginning, but not so much anymore. But the accusation of apostasy and blasphemy um, in Muslim majority countries of Muslims like me is really rampant. So if you are going to be critical of an interpretation of theology, you'll be accused of being an apostate and you'll be thrown in jail or punished or fined or what have you. And so it's really difficult to be progressive in many of the Muslim majority countries because you will be prosecuted. So we're always, um, you know, defending a lot of these um, and, and highlighting and bringing up these cases of Muslims who are challenging the state definition of Islam, because the state definition of Islam is political Islam. Mm -hmm. It's to control how you think, how you practice, is to keep your citizenship in tow, right? It has nothing to do with your right to practice religion. And this, again, is another example of the bastardization of Islam because the Quran in chapter 2, verse 256, clearly states there is no compulsion in faith. Another example of my experience at the United Nations is that um, is because we do a lot of advocacy for LGBTQ rights at the international fora. And we did a, and so sometimes I get these, you know, Middle Eastern and Arab Muslim majority countries, Pakistan come up to me and says, you know, Annie, we really like your work, but, you know, we really have a problem with you supporting LGBTQ rights. I mean, why are you pushing this Western agenda? And, you know, I have to put a pause on that. And I say to them, it's like, hang on a second. I'm the one that's practicing Islam and you're the one that's practicing the Puritan puritanical version of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Because if you go back to Islamic history, we did not discriminate against homosexuals. As a matter of fact, the Christian nations, the Brits, the France, the Italians came and conquered Muslim countries because they found us to be very homophobic friendly and they conquered us as an excuse for money, but they conquered us saying that, oh, we have to civilize the Muslim societies. That's actually in the history book. Wow. Yeah. And so I say to them, you need to go back to your history before you come and talk to me about 
you know, supporting, uh, you know, this Western agenda. If anything, you're the one that's uh, promoting the wow. Christian agenda. And then they shut up after that. Say, I bet they really enjoy that critique, Adi. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that's great. Uh, oh, I wish you could see that their faces. I bet. Well, we have learned so much here today. You've got a conference coming up on September 30th at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. We are going to be there. We're really excited about attending uh, the conference this year. Uh, can you tell our listeners more about the conference and how they can find out more about uh, uh, how they can actually participate? Sure. Um, the conference is going to uh, address the issues of the coalescing of the Muslim right and the Christian right and how that is really harmful um, to our democracy and how people are like the Muslim right are basically learning from the Christian right on how to use Religious Freedom Restoration Act to justify their discrimination in the name of religion. And that's not what the RIFRA Religious Freedom Restoration Act was designed. Um, so that was a law that was signed into uh, that was signed uh, by Clinton, but it's become an abusive tool by um, by the Christian and Muslim right. So we're going to be addressing that. We also have uh, a guest speaker on the panel on this issue, Hindus for Human Rights, and so she's going to be speaking about it from the Hindu right. You know the issues that she has to do with the Hindu right. Um, and so we're going to have sort of a, a strategy session from there. We're also going to address uh, the space for LGBTQ Muslims uh, in our community. And this is in a direct response of this very homophobic position statement that was signed by more than 200 imams, American imams and some Canadian imams. Um, and basically, they're saying that uh, they don't recognize the, the existence of LGBT Muslims and that they're not really Muslims and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very harmful position. And um, so we're going to address that. And the third one is going to be about the arts and how us American Muslims, how we have to create our own American Muslim identity through the arts, for example. So um, I'm going to be doing a presentation. I'm going to be a panelist because I'm going to showcase this, the songs that I've created, um, what I call Islamic hymns. And so what I've done is I've taken like passages from the Quran, Prophet Muhammad's favorite prayer, Rumi, and I've put it to classical music because I'm classically trained. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I've arranged the vocals in in a choral arrangement, right? So it's a it's very different than what the traditional Muslim um, spiritual songs are. Um, and so, and then there's going to be a visual artist, etc., a poet as well. And so we're 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 you know, MPV has always been sort of an avant garde organization where we're really pushing the envelope forward. That's why we we're progressive. Like, how do we? Um, how do we really inculcate that culture of human rights, whether it's be whether it be the theologically speaking, whether it be through policy, and whether it be through the arts? How do we shape our community, our society, and us as American Muslims, and as part of the, the fabric of America? And that's the that's our place. We are an American organization first. So, Adi, how can our audience find out more about the conference? Uh, is 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 there still time to register for the conference? Yes, uh, you still have a lot of time to register, but please do so quickly. 
Um, it's uh, just go to our website, M as in Mary, P as in Peter, V as in Victor, USA.org, and the information will pop up. Great. Well, Ani, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I've learned so much and am now going to leave this interview and think of a bunch more questions. So we might have to have you back on. Absolutely. Just the education you've given us about, about your faith has been so invaluable. Thank you. Thank you. So before we let you go, we have one final question. As you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of the work that you do in our conversation today, what is your more to tell? So more to tell. I think you have to have me back. Wow, we've never had somebody do that. That is brilliantly played. I'm more to tell as well. You're going to have to have me back to hear that. I love that so much. We will. I'm going to come up with a list of just questions, like everything you needed to know, and you're going to help us out. Yeah. Well, Ani uh, Zonneville, thank you so much for being our guest at Good Faith Weekly this week. Uh, make sure you check out their website at mpvusa.org. And if you got an opportunity or around New York, uh, sign up for the conference. I'm really looking forward to attending. And Ani, you are welcome back anytime to this program. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, Missy. She was something else. Well, you'll be glad to know I have fact-checked Ani and found out that that Angel Gabriel she mentioned did in fact have the same last name, so we can conclude <laughs> it is the same Angel Gabriel. Was it Smith, Johnson? Smith. <laughs> <laughs> no. But little things like that yeah. for us who grew up, you know, in such a bubble are I'm embarrassed to admit, pretty mind blowing, right. you know, and yeah, and that's what is fascinating in my conversations are our conversations with people like Ani and Ahmad and Chauncey uh, before have really educated us to the Muslim faith and what the Quran really has to say, not only about the Islamic faith, but just about how much our cultures are intertwined. It's so silly to me. I don't know. Because as she's talking about misconceptions about her faith and faith tradition, and I don't know why it's so surprising it shouldn't be, because there's all sorts of misconceptions about, you know, our faith tradition or our denomination mm -hmm. and what we believe and, and what, what probably our listeners are not going to hear, because as I mentioned um, to her in the interview, which is probably cut, is that our media producer Cliff is is in fact a magician is that after every response she gave I don't know if you notice this but there was a long pause we were like because I think wow. we were both just absorbing oh sure the information yeah. and I hope our listeners feel that as well mm -hmm. um, but a couple of things that stood out to me is when she mentioned the state definition of Islam is about control yep and then you think, okay, well, if you looked at our quote unquote state or government today and their definition of Christianity or synonymously Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. would that not translate to control? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So there's the parallels there. And um, I guess that's, I, that's the most remarkable thing when we talk to... Uh, you know, our friends in other traditions 
such as Ani and you know Rabbi Jack Moline in the Jewish faith, is that we learned very quickly that no matter the religion, uh, that there are individuals out there in the world that use religion and uh, manipulate religion in order to control people. And the fact that she mentioned that the the Muslim right is learning from the our Christian religion, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's oh, like, oh. I don't know. It's just so funny to me. And I do feel like I want to have her back. I want to have a recurring conversation with her mm-hmm. because I feel like there's so much to be gleaned from the commonalities of what we are going through in our uh, respective faith traditions in terms of political impl- implications and consequences. Right. There's so much that we need to be working together on. Um, but the other thing I found that, that just stood out to me, which was so funny that she tells her um, Muslim um, cohorts that accuse her of not being traditional Muslim and she's because of her advocacy for LGBTQ plus rights and, and women's rights and right. not wearing the hijab and all these things. And she says, actually, actually. your Christianity is showing. <laughs> <That's exactly laughs> those may not said. be her words, but those are my words. And so... I really think that needs to be her next t-shirt. <laughs> for Christianity Muslims show. for progressive values. We need to make them a shirt that says your Christianity is showing because, you know, she says, I'm practicing traditional, yeah values of Islam, which are that of inclusion and liberation, like Mm -hmm. with um, the misinterpretation of what it means to wear a hijab and how it was about class. Right. And we have examples in our own faith and culture. Oh my goodness, numerous examples. About that and about how much of our religious practices have to do more with a class system Mm -hmm. than that of a liberation system, which when you look at the root of things, mm-hmm. Jesus was a liberator of people who were oppressed. Well, you look at the, the, the totality of the Hebrew and Christian Bible, uh, and for example, to use one of her illustrations about the patriarch, you know, you read the text and you see all these examples of strong female characters who were leaders within their time and within their place, and that the story is incomplete without their presence. Yahweh was working directly through these women, and these women were wise enough and smart enough and you know, were able to achieve incredible uh, you know, accomplishments because of who they were. But because of the patriarchy, in the especially the colonial world careful your barbie is showing sorry (laughs) exactly um that those stories were subjugated to a secondary class and those characters were subjugated to a secondary class in the overall narrative but in reality egalitarianism is all throughout scripture but in the hands of the patriarchy it is perverted and we see that not only in Christianity, but as she indicated, we see that as well in uh, Islam. And of course, we also see it in Judaism as well. It doesn't matter what faith it is, Missy. When you get people who are looking to ascertain and keep power, they're going to use religion as a tool to acquire that power and to maintain that power. 
I agree. I want to us to maybe close with um, a story that you have talked about and maybe some of our listeners may be familiar with, but I think it gives us an example and a foundation for a spirit of working together. I think if, if I learned anything from our interview with Ani, it is the fact that we as what you know would be labeled progressive mm-hmm. Christians, but what you and I might call more traditional Jesus followers, and her as a traditional um, person of, of Islamic faith, are combating the same issues. Yeah. You know, people wanting to restrict curriculum in schools, people wanting to force um, women into subjugation or to take away rights of LGBTQ individuals. And if the the importance that we come together and work together on these issues, um, even though, you know, we come from different faith traditions, these are so important and we need to cooperate. So let's look back at the biblical text. We're going to read Genesis 25, starting in verse 8, and I'll read verse 9 as well. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him. What I want you to talk about is the point that in our upbringing, we were taught that Ishmael and Hagar went away. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, after Isaac was born, they were not mentioned. They were not part of the story. They were not part of the promise. They were not part of anything. Right. And what we see in our very own biblical text is that the sons of Abraham come together to bury their father. Yeah. And there's other evidence to suggest that their presence exists, maybe not directly. But after Abraham's wife and the mother of Isaac, Sarah, dies, then we see them gravitating towards the land where Ishmael has been exiled. And Abraham continues to get closer and closer to those lands. And it's almost as though he was seeking out repentance for previous decisions. And so when he dies and Isaac and Ishmael come together to bury their father, it's probably one of the most beautiful and complete narratives or ending to a narrative that's in the entirety of Scripture. Right. And I remember when you and I talked about this years ago and not ever having, and again, I have not read through the entire book of Genesis, clearly my mistake, but not knowing that this in fact did happen. But I think it is such a great example of what I was saying before I read the scripture that we need to come together in the same way that the sons of Abraham did to what degree they had interaction throughout their life, we don't know. Right. However, they came together to honor their father in the end. We need to come together as people of faith to 
enact in the way that that we feel that Jesus led us to, that the people of Islam feel that Muhammad led them to, as people of liberation, as people of love, as people of grace, as people of mercy, and 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 fight for those who don't have a voice. Well said. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, two brothers who are the descendants of these two great faiths, or three great faiths within the world today, come to honor their father, their ancestor, but also to bring about peace. Mm -hmm. For that is what the laying of the dead is, to bring about an eternal peace. And that is one of the things I think that we can glean from this story. The Abrahamic faiths have the potential to bring about eternal peace for the entire world if they dare to do it. We just got to figure out how to get people to give up power and control. <laughs> well, that's not so easy. Missy. That's a topic we'll keep tackling. I tell you what, when that happens, when this, these three faiths come together and bring about world peace, there will be no more need for our voices. That's no right. No more need for this podcast. We will so. have our last episode <laughs> that's right. as soon as we are able to announce that. So, so I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Ani. I do feel like we will have continued conversations with her. I, I found our time together fascinating, and I definitely want to learn more yeah in a couple of weeks uh not next week's episode but the week after that uh, i'll give a report uh after attending the event there in new york city i'm really looking forward to it excellent well until next week uh, stay tuned and keep living good faith You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs>